You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. about Gulliver and the one thing Bob Jones was talking about was there was a there was a sleeping giant and his head was in Cincinnati I believe and his feet and his body went across and his feet ended up in Atlanta and uh, then eventually the giant stood up and the entire region came to know the Lord and what he was talking about was the giant is actually the sleeping church and Guys, I really believe that's where we're at right now. Uh, The church has been asleep for the last, well, we could go back 10 years, but I think especially just the last three years, the church as a whole has been asleep. And there's been a lot of reasons for it, we know that, but I think we got to get to a place where we wake ourselves up and we say, hey, you know, we're, we're either in this thing or we're not in this thing. And, and I kept hearing this phrase. We were out of town last week, and I got to hear Cody preach. And during his sermon, I kept hearing this, this, this one phrase, kept going over and over and over me. He said, what you used to do for duty, you now will only do for love. And I kept hearing that. And, and, I, and it spoke directly to me. What I once did for duty, I will only now do for love. And I think that's where God has us. I think he has us in a place that he hit, we hit a reset button in our own heart that we understand that we're here to make a difference. And we're here, tell me you're in the kingdom without telling me you're in the kingdom. Does that make sense? Tell me you're in the kingdom without telling me you're in the kingdom. Words are cheap. Words are cheap, but... Actions speak louder than words. So I want to I start off with this scripture, passage of Scripture that is, it's a little extensive, but I think it's, it's worth us reading. Shantae, if you'll go ahead and put that up. Um, Jesus is with his disciples. Do we have that? No. Yeah, Matthew 16, 13 through, uh, yeah, there we go. So Jesus is with his disciples, and um, we're going to read through this, and I just want you to read with me through this. And we'll just start here in, in chapter, uh, I mean in uh, chapter 16 and 13. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, that I am, or that I, that say that I, yeah, the son of man am. Is that right? Oh, son of man? It's, I, I had dyslexia as a child growing up. Sorry, guys. I'm, I'm having a hard time with this. Okay, so who, who do they say I am? Go to the next verse, 14. Let's just move on. So they said, so they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Okay, now this is, this is what I want you to catch. Who do you say that I am? Jesus is asking a really pertinent question. He said, I know people say this, people say that, but who do you say that I am? And in 16, Peter looks at him. Simon Peter answered him, and he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Man, what a profound answer. Go to 17. Jesus answered and he said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The point we need to focus on is Jesus said flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but by my Father in heaven. And uh, we'll go to the next verse here in a minute. John 16, 13 says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to, are to come. And, and let's think about this. When Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, we look at, look at what happened to, to Saul, who later became Paul, and he's on the road to Damascus. Saul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Remember that? He had grown up being taught all his life about the law, he, the Torah, all these things. He knew all these things from an early age. He studied it. He studied it to a T in all those years of studying it and hearing from men and hearing from teachers. He did not have a re revelation of who Jesus was to the point that he was trying to kill Jesus. He was trying to kill the people that Jesus had raised up to be disciples Okay? And then he has this encounter on the road. And who does he have an encounter with? Did he have an encounter with a physical human being? No. He had an encounter with the Spirit of the Lord, with the Spirit of God. Jesus is saying to Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven through his Spirit revealed this to you. And if you go to the next verse, verse 18, we have that. And he said, I say to you that you are Peter, a, a rock, which is, he's, he's using this as an illustration that he is a foundation. And I will build my church. Whose church? Je whose church? Jesus' church. And the gates of Haiti will not prevail against it. Okay, you got that? Listen. What God is doing today is he is turning, he's turning the church around in such a way that's absolutely necessary. Because we've turned into more of a, remember that old band culture club? We've turned into a culture club where we have convenient Christianity. We, we want Christianity without Christ. We want the kingdom without the king. And it needs to be, quote, convenient again. And Jesus said, I'm not building my church on this, on this shaky ground. I'm building it on the rock. I'm building it on you, Peter. Peter, Peter wasn't the only guy carrying the church, though. He wasn't saying Peter was the only guy he was going to build the church on. He was saying, Peter, your faith, your ability to hear in the Spirit is what I'm looking for. And it's through people like you and people that are committed to who I am that I'm going to build my church on. Amen? And that happens when we lean in and we begin to listen to the Spirit in what He is saying. I remember uh, years ago, before I got saved, right up to the point 
like a year before I got saved, I was, I was in college. I was rodeoing. I was running with a bunch of a rough crowd. I was drinking. I was doing all kinds of stuff. I was miserable. And I was at a point in my life where I was like, something's got to change. Something's got to change because I'm just not happy with my life. And if this is all there is, then I'm just done. Anybody been there other than me? One person. Thank you for being honest. And uh, I, I, was in, I was in a dorm, uh, and I had just gotten up that morning. I didn't sleep long because I'd been up all, all night partying and drinking and just being wild and crazy. And I remember waking up and feeling um, just so empty inside. Just empty, like, and hopeless. Just no hope. And I remember getting up and stumbling over to the mirror and looking in the mirror, and I'm just looking at my face in the mirror, and I'm sitting there looking at myself, and I'm like, I don't even recognize who I am. It's like, I don't know who you are. And it was at that moment that I heard the Spirit of the Lord speak to me. And I didn't know it then that that's what it was. But I heard a voice, almost audible, as I looked into that mirror. And the voice basically said, leave this place and search me out. And I promise, I, it was that clear. It kind of startled me and it, and it scared me. But you know what I did? I totally, I didn't even check out of school, like sign out and de, you know, unregister. I just left. I just left school. And I already paid for a semester and everything. And I just left. I didn't care. I didn't care about getting the money back. I didn't care about any of that stuff. I just knew that I was, I was going to die if I did not go after what I was hearing on the inside of me. And it was that alarming to me and that awakening and refreshing to me. Like, you got to get out of here. And I didn't know where I was going. I just had to get out. Anybody ever experienced anything like that? And so, of course, I left, and, you know, down the road, it set me up and, and, and brought me to a place where I, I, I found Christ. But the, the point I'm trying to make is when, when Jesus is talking to Peter, and he's saying, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven did. My Spirit revealed this to me. I just want to point out that, and, and this is going to seem really obvious, but, you know, any... Any theology that doesn't point back to building his church or making disciples is a false narrative. And it's not truth. And uh, you don't get to have an opinion on Jesus' truth. You don't get to have an opinion on Jesus' truth. You ever read the red in the New Testament? That's Jesus' truth. There's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament. There's a lot of stuff in the New Testament that there's a lot of theory around, there's not a lot of explanation around, there's culture, there's all these things that, that take place that we can re-look at things and have a better understanding for, but you don't get to change Jesus' truth. <laughs> and, and I'll just say it like this, God's word is inherent. And that word inherent means essential. Because without it, we don't have an understanding of who he is. This Bible tells us who he is. 
It tells us his character. It tells us his nature. It tells us how he does things, how he thinks, how much he loves us, how good he is. It tells all those things. And if we didn't have this, and we, we would be left to drawing our own conclusions of who God is. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you right now, I, I'm going to tell you, right now, society and a lot of the church are doing that, that exact same thing. They're drawing their own conclusions about what Jesus said. And you know what it's called? It's called deconstruction. Now, let me say this. There's nothing wrong with deconstruction as long as you're building back on a firm foundation. But if you're deconstructing something and building it back with a false narrative, then you're in trouble. And, and we're there. We're there. I mean, I'm just saying it like it is. We're, we're there. And... Um, that foundation needs to be built on the rock. It needs to be built on what Jesus commended Peter for. He said, on this rock, I will build my church. And, you know, he, what is that truth? That he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And the only way to the Father is through him. And, uh, you know, again, when I'm talking about when, you ha when Peter had that revelation in the Spirit, it's amazing how it brings light, it brings truth, and it brings fulfillment, and it brings an act of faith that, that, that ignites you and it, and it intertwines you with who Jesus is. I was hanging out uh, this last week some with Bill and Janelle Hobbs, and we got some time to spend together and really talk about our faith and talk about our stories and things like that. And Janelle shared some of her story with Terry and I, which I was absolutely blown away. Janelle is like a, a, a gift box. when you, she, It's all pretty on the outside and tied up nice with a bow, but until you unwrap and you start looking inside the box, you don't know what you're getting. And Janelle, I just want to tell you I love you, and you're a pretty special lady. And she shared this testimony, and I asked her if I could share this testimony. She, she said both. You know, before she came to Jesus, she thought Jesus was a good man. She thought Jesus was a good teacher. She thought Jesus was, hey, you know, hey, I, I, I think these are stories, you know, but I, I don't know if I believe that he's the son of God. And uh, she was in a meeting, and she was at a Bible study, and there were some questions going around about their people's faith, and do you believe or do you not believe? And she said she was sitting there, and she was contemplating all this stuff and kind of maybe struggling a little bit, just kind of thinking about it because of some of the things that had happened in her past, you know, trying to put together two and two, like how is two and two good, you know, versus, you know, three and three is really bad or whatever, you know, and God, if God is that good, how could this happen, you know, and if that's who he is, I'm not sure if what I've experienced, if that's what I want. And as she's sitting in this meeting, and I might be butchering this, Janelle, but as I was sitting here, as she was sitting here in this meeting, she said she literally saw a light come down out of heaven and manifest in front of her. Right at the time of the decision of hers having to say, of somebody offering, do you want to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior? She saw that light, and she said she knew right then that that was a sign from heaven. Why? Because... She didn't hear it from flesh and blood. She heard it from the Spirit. That's, 
That's what Jesus is building the church on. He's not building it on just a bunch of ran, random teachings or any or just uh, how can I say this without saying really sounding really bad. Um, hmm. Eh, I don't know. I'll say, I, I, I'll hold on to that one. You know, the culture, really, the culture that has emerged since 2020 is that, you know, we no longer have to gather to be the church. That's the culture that's happened. I, and I know this is fact because I, I continue to hear this from other pastors. I see it all over social media, uh, you know, and I was actually, I, you know, I'm actually backing off of Facebook a lot because I'm just sick of all the stuff, you know, all the arguing all the rants, the raves, all this stuff. But I just happened to catch this, and it was nobody I knew. It was absolutely nobody I knew. But I saw this thread, and all these people were getting on this thread, and they're talking about, oh, how bad the church is, and, you know, every leader in the church is horrible, and it's because every leader in the church that they don't want to go to church anymore. And, you know, it, it was sad to me. It was sad. Because, yes, we've all experienced poor leadership. If you've lived long enough, you're going to experience poor leadership. And, heck, probably 25 years ago, I was one of them, poor leadership. But just because you, you experience poor leadership, you don't just jump off and you just don't quit the church because of poor leadership. That's called immaturity. And it's called being a victim. Guess what? You're neither. You're neither. Because Jesus has won absolute victory. And he's given you the ability to use this and use this. And if you don't like the leadership you're under, go find somebody that's healthy. Go find some better leadership. I mean, that's what I did over the years. I, I've, I ended up landing where I found health. And I found kingdom. And anyway, I saw this thread, and, and this guy actually says this. And uh, he said, this, indiv this individual said, and I won't name a name because I don't even remember the guy's name. He wasn't a friend of mine. Not like that, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, he said, I can go to Waffle House and have church anytime. That's what he said. I can go to Waffle House and have church anytime. And you know what I say to that? No, you can't. No, you can't. Now, let me clarify, okay? I want, you, I, want, I want to clarify this. You know, church looks like when people are gathering together with like beliefs and values, and they're worshiping together, they're coming together, and they're, they're being trained, they're being equipped, and they're being sent out. That is what the church looks like. And the Bible tells us not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together, okay? I mean, period. I mean, it's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. But because people get hurt, all of a sudden now, it takes them out of the plan and the purpose that God had for them from the original, his original attention. And let me, let me say this, too. You can experience God's presence anywhere you go. Why? Because he's everywhere. But his presence and his church are two different things. Would you agree with that? Of course, 
He is the church, and yes, his presence goes wherever he goes, but his, his presence and his church are two different things. And he said to Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. What does that mean? What does the word build mean? It's an it's a action word. It's good. Something has to happen in order for you to build the church, right? You know, people, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, God builds the church. Absolutely, he builds the church. He calls those like you and me to come and gather together, and then he gives us the wisdom and the understanding and the insight to do some of the things that we're doing and to help build his church. So everybody agree with that? This sounds really elementary, but guys, I'm telling you, it's, it, people have complicated it really past what it should be complicated. And, uh, you know, you can't go to church, you cannot not go to church and build your own monument and say it's kingdom if, if it doesn't involve making disciples. I didn't say, you know, I didn't say that. Jesus said it. <laughs> Jesus didn't say, I'm calling you to be Christ Christians. I'm calling you to make disciples. Did you know that in the New Testament, the word Christian is only mentioned three times? Three times. But in the New Testament, the word disciple is mentioned over 267 times. So I would probably say, do, do you know that word Christian was not given to followers of Jesus or disciples of Jesus by Jesus? It was, it was given to them by society. Remember that? Because they're Christ followers. Oh, we're going to call them Christians because they're, they're following this guy, Christ. They're following this guy named Jesus. And again, it, it's so easy when we don't understand the difference of the commitment that we need to make. It's, it's, it's really easy to get these things mixed up. And... Um, you know, if there's no fruit in, in what you're doing or in the endeavors of what, you, what you're doing, then it's highly likely that it's not centered around what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. A lot of people today, again, would call themselves Christians, and they, they want Christianity, but they don't want Christ. They don't want Jesus to be the Lord of their life. They want convenient Christianity. And, um, you know... Jesus would go out and he would, have, he would have massive followings. But you notice they thinned out really, really quick when he started talking about drink my blood and eat my flesh. <laughs> what was Jesus doing? Was he literally saying, I want you to drink my blood and eat my flesh? No. It was hyperbole. He was, he was telling them, this is serious. This is something I really want you to take serious, serious and, and go after it. You know, Christians follow denominational movements. But disciples make disciples and make Jesus Lord of their lives. How many movements have we been in, including me, that we followed a movement and we were all in for the movement and we, man, we fought for that movement. We, we, we protected that movement. We took up for that movement. We even turned it into an elite society. But that's not what God's calling us to do. 
He's calling us to follow him and to make disciples. You know, there's, there's a tree in Georgia or in the south that we all know about, and it's called a Bradford pear. Who has a Bradford pear in their yard? Anybody got a Bradford pear in the yard? I got four Bradford pears in my yard. Actually, I had more than that. I ended up cutting a couple of them down. And every year, that Bradford pear will bloom the prettiest white flowers you've ever seen. Just beautiful. I mean, when they're in full bloom, just white, just gorgeous, just absolutely gorgeous. But there's something about the Bradford pear that most people, when they hear the word Bradford pear, they immediately think, oh, this thing bears fruit. No, it does not bear fruit. And the flowers, they, they look really pretty on the outside and everything, but you can't pollinate them to where they'll bear fruit because it's a non-fruit-bearing uh, tree. And when they begin to die, holy junk, they smell so bad. Smells like dead fish, right? Anybody else ever experienced that? You're, you go outside and you're like, "Wow, what is that smell?" And it's the and it's the flowers that are dying, and um, they they don't they don't bear fruit. They just reek, man. They're just they just nasty, nasty. You know, Matthew twenty three twenty three twenty seven says, "Woe to you, teachers of the law." And you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. You know, you may look good and you may talk a good talk. And you might be all pretty and all that and your ministries might look really awesome and really good. Best, you know, have the best services in the world, flashing lights, you know, thousands of people coming. But really, what's going on in the inside? What's going on in the inside? What is the, what is the sign of a disciple of Jesus? Bearing fruit. Bearing his fruit. Seeing people come to know who he is. And mentoring those people as fathers and mothers in the Lord. Listen, if I hadn't had... Somebody who discipled me, I would not be here today. I would not be here today. I'm sure there's many of you could say the same thing. But it's almost become a lost art in the church. People do not disciple people anymore. Why? Have you ever asked yourself, why? Because it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient. People, you know... People in the church today, and I'm not saying this to beat anybody up, we don't, we don't invite people to church anymore. And did you know 67% of the people that end up coming to attend a church come because they were invited? I mean, who's supposed to witness, this, witness to these people? We are. <laughs> Craig got up and preached a message last week that I heard was amazing, talking about the signs, the wonders, the gifts. That we're to demonstrate these things because we are a, a, a contact point for heaven to the people that are around us. And if we're not, if we're more interested in just doing our duty versus following what Jesus commanded us to do, we're just going to continue to do the same things that we've always done. 
And I don't want to be like that. Because we're supposed to be conduits of his power, transferring it to other people. Listen, the cross of Jesus is offensive to people. You know why? Because it causes death. When Jesus went on a cross, you remember, what did he do? He gave up his will. He's in the garden. He's struggling. He's saying, not my will, but your will. If this should pass for me, let it pass. It didn't pass. He went on the cross. Jesus said, do what I do. Pick up your cross and follow me. <laughs> this is hard. It's hard. You guys remember back in the day, yeah, I'm going to date myself. You remember a guy named Arthur Blessed? Okay, I'll tell you who he is. So Arthur Blessed was a guy who got radically saved back in the Jesus movement. And he, he literally built a cross, put it on wheels, and walked across the country. Now, I'm not telling you God's calling you to do that. And I'm not saying that is a true mark of a disciple of Jesus. But, but he heard this in, in, from the Spirit of the Lord, and he did it. And he led, I mean, no telling how many people to the Lord. And he literally picked up the cross, and he, he bore it, and he, he went with it. Now, God was on that cross. Jesus was on that cross so that you didn't have to suffer and die. But he didn't say you didn't have to die just die to yourself. If you're going to be his follower, you have to die to yourself. And that means sometimes things are going to be inconvenient. Sometimes ministering to people is going to be inconvenient. Sometimes sharing the good news is going to be inconvenient. Okay, everybody say, oh, me, oh, my, come on. Put that slide up, uh, Luke 14, 25, 27. i got to hurry up. Now, great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, yes, and his own life, then he cannot be my disciple. Woo. Hang on to that thought, but. So is Jesus saying that if we don't hate our families, that we're not his disciples? That's not what Jesus is saying. And I'm not saying that for sure, because we definitely believe in family here. And we believe in loving people unconditionally and loving our families unconditionally. Again, Jesus is using hyperbole. Hyperbole, can he say it? And what he's saying is that word means hate in that particular situation is to love less. Now you're like, well, that doesn't sound right. Well, Putting him at the top is what he's saying. And you know what? Every one of his disciples did that. Matter of fact, when they tried to make excuses to go, you know, let me first go say bye to my family. Let me first go bury my father. Let me go. He said, no. He said, if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Go to that next verse. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And what is that cross? It is dying to your self-will. Dying to your self-will. And, um, you know, Mark 10, 17, for, for the sake of time here, it tells a story about Jesus teaching and preaching and 
a rich young ruler came to him, man with a lot of money, and basically said, hey, I, tell me what i got to do to become one of your disciples. Jesus starts quoting, hey, you need to follow the law, obey your parents, honor your, your parents, go through the law. He said, I've done all these things since I was a child. And Jesus said he was, his heart was moved toward this young man. He was very compassionate towards him because he saw the sincerity and he saw the, 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 the young man's faith. He said, well, this one thing you haven't done yet. He said, go take and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor and come follow me and, be in my, and come be my disciple. And it said the young man turned around and was very sorrowful and walked away because he was very rich. And Jesus then turned to his disciples and he said, I'll tell you right now, it's easier for a, a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. And then the disciples were all like, well, who in the world can be saved then? They were like all just like, you know, just, just crazy. Like, how, how, who's going to be saved? And, he, and Jesus replied to me, he said, I assure you that... Uh, he looked at them and intently and, and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible. Amen? Everything's possible. Everything's possible with God. You know, what about you? Is it, is it your money? Is it your free time? Is it your job? Is it a relationship? Your state of being comfortable or inconvenienced? That's keeping you from being able to totally detach when the Spirit of God is speaking to you to reach out and to be a light to people around you. Listen, I do it all the time. And I'm, I'm going to share this message, I mean, share this testimony with you. But what are we clinging to? Uh, show that slide in Matthew 10 39. It says, He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake, he will find it. Another translation says, he who's clinging to his life will lose it. What are we clinging to? What are we clinging to? Let me tell you something. When I first got saved, I wanted to share the gospel with people everywhere I went. You know why? Because Jesus set me free. I was an orphan. He gave me a home. I was fatherless. He became my father. I was addicted. I got set free. I was miserable. I got filled with joy. Why wouldn't I want to share that with people around me? I did it all the time, 24-7. Now, did that mean I just quit and quit working and quit trying to make a living for me? I, no, I still had to do all that stuff. But I was willing to not cling to the things that were inconvenient, but I clung to him. And because I was willing to give my time away, he added to me. He added value. He added money. He added provision. Man, you talk about amazing and how good that was. Man, it was, it was, it was so good. You know, I'll tell you this real quick testimony, and then we're going to wrap it up. So I remember I'd been in ministry, this is just like 15 years ago. We'd been in ministry for a long time, and was it 15 years? Yeah, about 15 years ago that we took the sabbatical, right? Yep, you're just standing there looking at me. Like, I think it was 15 years. So we, get, we got given a sabbatical for three months. 
just to go and do nothing. Boy, that was glorious. And, uh, okay, yeah, seven years ago, seven, eight years ago. And um, it seems like 15 years ago. And Terry and I, we're, we're going off, and we're going to go have fun, and we're going to go enjoy ourselves, and we're not going to care about people. We're going to, hey, we've been giving plenty to people. We've been ministering to people. I've been in ministry all this time. I've, I've laid my life down, and bless the Lord, I'm going to enjoy my three months. Don't anybody bother me. I swear, that's exactly what I felt like, and that's what I was thinking. <laughs> then I met Jesus on the road to Emmaus. So we're in a truck, I'm pulling a boat, we're going to a lake, we're fixing to have a good time. I got my dog in the back seat. Yeah. And we pull up to this, we're up in North Georgia, we pull up to this grocery store, and out of nowhere, this guy comes up to the window and starts tapping on my window. This guy, bum, he's just a bum, he's a vagrant. Sorry, I mean, he, he looks like a bum. I mean, trashed out, clothes are ragged, I mean, just gnarly, be I mean, just look like a wild man. My dog is about to lose her mind. She is coming out of the window wanting to eat this guy up. And I look at the guy, and I'm like, man, go away. My dog's going to attack you. No compassion whatsoever. I'm on vacation. That's what I said. I ain't got time for this. I'm on vacation. He walks off. I said, I'll be right back, honey. Let me go get, you know, I got turned on Christian again. I'm sorry. You know, and... Uh, I go into the grocery store, and as I'm walking in the grocery store to get a cooler and some other stuff, I heard the Lord say to me, boy, this was a kick in the pants. He said, aren't you glad I'm never on vacation? I heard that. And I got so convicted. Now, let me say this. I'm not telling you you can't have vacation. And I'm not telling you you can't enjoy your time when you get off somewhere. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when he does talk to you and he tells you to move to the left or to the right or go lay something down and speak to somebody, you better do it because you're going to miss out on the biggest blessing of your life if you don't. So I came out of the store. I put the stuff in the truck. I said, I got to go find this guy. She goes, well, I don't know where he went. He kind of went off that direction. So I, I said, you got any money? She gave me some cash, put it in my pocket. I went around the corner of this store, and there he is sitting on the ground. And uh, I began to minister to the guy and just share about what Jesus had done in my life. And he begins to tell me that his back, he, he used to be in construction. He'd been out of work for like six or seven years. He can't work because he physically can't work. He hurt, fell off a scaffolding and hurt his back. So I said, can you stand up? And he said, yeah, I can stand up. So he stood up, and I put my hand on his back, and I said, I'm going to pray for healing. And God is my witness. I begin to pray for this guy, and heat just starts radiating out, of, radiating out of my hand into his back. And he literally turns around and looks at me, and he goes, what's that? And I said, that's the presence of God. And he said, oh. And he starts crying. And then I said, man, you know how much he loves you? And I begin to hug him, and he's crying and weeping. He said, please don't hug me. I smell and I said, you know, the only thing I can smell is the fragrance of heaven on you. And I gave him the money. I didn't lead him to the Lord right there, but I believe he knew God. He just, he hadn't been walking in that place. And I walked away from that encounter going, 
you know, I never want to go on vacation again where I'm not available when God tells me to be available. And when I, when, I want, when I need to be a disciple, I need to be a disciple. Not just a follower of Christ, but a disciple of Christ. Listen, you guys were born for such a time as this. Every one of you in this room were born for such a time as this. And God is raising you up to tell your story. I don't care how old you are in here. If you're old, if you're young... It doesn't matter. Your job, your, your calling is not done on your life because you have value. You have a story. And I just want to encourage you to begin to go after it. You know, I saw when we were in Arkansas seeing my grandkids, uh, there was this flock, flock of Canadian geese flying over the, the, the lake and there was probably about 20 of them. And when they, when they came in, they all came in together. And when they landed, they threw this huge wake, this big ripple, this wake. And as it came in, that wake hit the shoreline. And all the sediment that was on the shoreline broke up. And the Lord said, that's my body. When they're unified and they're flying together, they can, they can break the gates of hell open because of me. And that's who we are. It's time for us to start bearing fruit, not just smell like dead fish <laughs> and look all pretty blooming and say all the right things and look good and all this other stuff. It's, it's time for us to understand that we, it's time to build his church. And this isn't a, message to try to get you guys to do more. This is a message, and it's a message for me to understand that every time you step out of this, these four walls, every time you step out of your house, every time you step out of your work, wherever you go, there are opportunities for you to shine the light and for you to make disciples. Every time. We've got to get out of the cultural pull that has been on us. And the false narrative that has been sold by the culture we're living in. Listen, if you are not intentionally being discipled by Jesus, then you're unintentionally being discipled by the culture around you. Intentional. You got to be intentional about it. Okay, everybody stand up. I'll say this one last thing in closing. And this... this this is another sound like a rebuke, but it's not. Don't let inconvenience become the meter for how much time you set aside to build his church. Do not let inconvenience become the meter for how much time you set aside to build his church. Because if you do, you'll never step into what he's called you to do. You'll never step into it. Can I get my prayer team up here? Craig, Stephen, Jared, we got any ladies? Okay. Well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna pray over you and I'm gonna pray over me. And then if you guys need any any healing, if you need any encouragement, if you need prayer for anything, I want to ask you to come up here and we'll we'll definitely pray with you. But Father, I just thank you. For this Sunday, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, Father, it is true, that it is good, it is 
worthy of edifying and teaching and developing, and that, God, you've called every one of us in this room to be your disciples. Father, I pray that you would just burn that into our hearts as we leave this place today, that we have the ability to hear from you, and that, Father, we are your conduits for your power, that we are we are heaven's love letters to a dying and a hurting world. That God, on our mouths and you, through your spirit, we speak your words and we release the power that you paid for on the cross. So Father, I just pray that each one of us in here today would just get a revelation that Father, what we used to do out of duty, that now we do it for love. That, Father, our hearts change. And that, Father, you soften our hearts to work towards building what you're so passionate about. And when I say work, I'm not talking about a legalistic thing that you want us to do. I'm talking about coming alongside of you and partnering with you. So, Father, we just thank you for this day. Thank you that you're so good and you're faithful. And we just want to give you all the glory and all the praise for everything that you're doing in our lives, for the reset that's happening in 2024, for the redemption that's happening in 2024, for the, th for the broken dreams, the things that we thought were going to happen that didn't happen, that, God, you're going to restore those things in our lives 20 times better than what we could ever imagine or dream. So, Father, we just say yes. We say yes. Qu keep saying yes to what he asked you to do. <laughs> Trust and obey. There's no other way for us as your disciples. So, Father, we just thank you. We love you. And uh, everybody said amen. We love you guys. Y'all have a great Sunday. For more resources and information about Resurgent ATL, please visit our website, 